relax, you got nothing to lose. What do you think I'm about to show you? The female of the species is more deadly than a male. Show me your movie, you can say it again. Just wait till you see what I did at the end. The female of the species is more deadly than a male. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the More Deadly Podcast, where we review horror movies directed exclusively by women-identified directors that prove that the female species is more deadly than the male. More Deadly is a trans-inclusive podcast where we celebrate the work of cis and trans women, as well as non-binary filmmakers who are comfortable being included in a space that centers the work of women. I'm your co-host, Rachel, and joining me is the always lovely, the brilliant, the hopefully explaining the movie we're watching tonight, Ariel. Yikes. I swear you're always trying to set me up for failure, Rachel. Now I got to be the (laughs) smart one on the podcast. Um, Now you got to be. I feel like this is the role that you have been filling since about episode one. (laughs) Like I bring the fart jokes, you bring the analysis. It's great. This is is our team. (laughs) This is how we operate. Okay. All right. Well, here's the thing. Here's the thing. The good news is, if you don't feel like you're up to explaining this movie, we actually have two very special guests joining yes, us today. One of which says this is their favorite movie. So that's exciting. <laughs> I would love to introduce you all to the brilliant and talented Jess and Kelly, aka the Spinsters of Horror, hosts of one of my favorite pods, I Spit on Your Podcast. Welcome! Hello. Hello. We're here. This voice is Kelly. And this is Jess over here. And thank you so much for that lovely intro. I'm like blushing over here. (laughs) I mean, it's totally well deserved. I I was as I was getting ready today, I was listening to your uh, Pearl and X episode, which is fantastic by the way. People, if you have not listened to that episode, like or them, this is actually a good entry point. I feel like the like the mainstream response to Pearl is it's excellent. It's perfect. There are no criticisms. And right away you guys are like, so here's the issue. And I was like, yes, dissenting opinion. I think that's way more interesting than just going along with everybody and everybody says, and I appreciate that in analysis. So so kudos to you guys <laughs> for that. Really, <laughs> Thank really you. So. Yeah. You know, we're, we're candid. So we, we tell our truths, you know, we spill the tea as we need to and feel like, <laughs> We have to at points, so thank you. <laughs> yeah, no, you guys do a great job, and I also love how much research you put into everything. Your episode on the devils was really good, too, and so much of that movie, like, I knew a little bit about the backstory, but you guys went into all the stuff around the Catholic Church that I just was completely unaware of, so I think if people haven't listened to your podcast before, you're going to get a lot of great analysis, funny moments, but also really good research. Yeah. <laughs> that's incredible to hear thank you that's exactly what we're going for so I guess we're you know doing our job (laughs) well we love it I assume that our listeners already know about you but just in case they don't since this is your first time on the show I always like to put you guys immediately on the spot because that's what you do as a good host right um and ask you guys some questions to kind of get to know you guys and your taste so that people when they're listening to your analysis kind of have an idea of where you're coming from like what your perspective is 
But first, I want to talk more about your podcast. <laughs> I want you to tell me, I want to hear the origin story and like what your sort of uh, philosophy is. Like, what is your approach to, to talking about horror? Oh, well, mm -hmm. I feel like our origin story is best started by Jess because really it was her <laughs> idea. I didn't even really know what a podcast was when she approached me. I only listened to her old one. Like, I had no idea what this was. So, Jess, take it away. <laughs> yeah. So, inspired by many other people in the podcasting world, Faculty of Horror was a podcast that I listened to that I was just like, I loved. Because uh, as an academic, with my background, with having an academic background, I love seeing analysis and I love thoughtful discussions around films. I, I realized over the last couple of years, I'm a bit of a cinephile. I never really realized that. But one of the things they really did was bring perspective to the horror genre that I had never seen before myself. I was always someone who was scared of horror movies, but yet intrigued by them. And they would always like bring up certain feelings in me, but I didn't know how to describe them. And then listening to them talk about these more academic perspectives of it, I was like, Ooh, I really like this. Yeah, I'm seeing these themes as well. And so I wanted to get involved in the discussion. I wanted to talk, I wanted to explore my own journey into the horror genre, but have discussions around them and kind of enchamping them as films that have a lot to say that people often say, like when you talk to people and say, I watch horror movies are just like, Ooh, that's not fun. Like what, what, what's wrong with you? <laughs> Nothing. Um, so when I got into it, I did start a podcast with someone else six years ago, and I wanted to approach it from a more academic perspective. He wanted to approach it from a more this awesome, this movie is really awesome. Here's my whole history about it. And I just love all the guts and gore and stuff like that. And I was just like, that's great. But I want to talk more about what we're seeing in yeah, these films. Yeah. And yeah, <laughs> that, that podcast eventually went by the wayside. It was called The Dark Spectrum. And I still wanted to talk more about the horror genre. And I really we kept listening to the faculty of horror. And Kelly, you know, has been like my one of my really close friends for like over 20 plus years. She was the uh -huh. one who's really got me into the horror genre or was like slowly introducing me into it with once a year, we would watch a horror movie together and it would be of my choice. And she was like exposing me more. And as I got more exposed and started researching these more things too, I was like, I still want to talk about these things. And I approached Kelly and I was like, I want to do a podcast. Would you do a podcast with me? And I know for Kelly at first, she was just like, nah, I just watch horror movies for fun. I just like them. That's what I do. <laughs> um, but when I was, but she had started listening to the dark spectrum and started asking me some of the things that I was singing and seeing in these different films. And then, yeah, I just, Kelly, when I asked you, you just jumped in. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, if a friend comes to you with a passion project, you say yes. I mean, you that's what you do. So I did. <laughs> and so, I mean, I'm still I'm still here for the guts and gore and fun. Um, but, and I kind of had this, not a revelation the other night, but I was listening to a different podcast and their intro just really struck me. And it's just, I mean, what they were talking about was, and this is relevant, not a tangent necessarily, um, is that... There's so much content out there. There's so much for us to be consuming that it's it ends up being kind of like autopilot, mindless. We're not actually thinking about what we're watching. And right. especially during the pandemic when we I had so much free time, I was banging out so many horror movies that like I even forgot what I was watching. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. Which I don't like. Like I want to be able to remember either whether what whether I liked it or didn't like it, but I wanted to know why. And so... Really what stood to me was 
um, watching movies, but actually like sitting with them and thinking about them and taking something away from them. Again, Mm -hmm. it's one thing to just kind of sit down and watch a fun movie with uh, friends or by yourself or whichever, but I was just ended up being so grateful and happy that I do have this podcast and my other one. Um, because I do, it forces me to sit down and critically think about what I'm watching and why am I watching it and why do I love this movie? So I was an pretty much life changed when Jess asked me to, to make this podcast with her because I never really thought about these things. I'm a vet tech. I'm not an academic in any regard. You know, (laughs) I can string together some sentences and make some things work, but it's been amazing over the last, because we're celebrating our five years this year. Mm -hmm. Um, Thank you. Mm -hmm. Um, It's just been incredible to kind of stretch some different muscles that in my day-to-day job, I don't do. It's an emotionally taxing and sometimes physically taxing job, but it's definitely not like a mentally taxing job. Um, so it's been interesting and fun kind of looking at films from more a, our, our show's kind of, we say semi-academic, um, probably mostly because of me, cause I, again, vet <laughs> tech, I learned a trade, um, in college. So it's semi-academic, but we wanted to, it to be accessible. And I would say that one of our other influences that I, at least for me coming at this now after five years is the horror homeroom podcast it's not as well known mm-hmm. but it's run mm-hmm. by three female academics who are super super smart they just released their episode on pearl as well and they're pretty critical one of them like hates the movie so i oh, i just wow. yes they're very <laughs> candid very honest very funny but very smart and i just feel like they're very accessible for people that want that and they're not going to feel alienated by you know, this academic approach. And I really think that that's where we're at. And I really want, wanted mm-hmm. that for, for listeners. Um, yeah, I'll stop there, but yes, that's where we're at. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's great. And I think it really comes through. One of the things I love about the show, I do love the very, uh, like you said, you explore the themes, you have somewhat of an academic approach to it, but I also think there's like, and this is something that maybe because I do this with Ariel and it is so like emotionally fulfilling for me, but like, I love the dynamic that the two of you have, like the yeah. clear friendship <laughs> that you share and that chemistry that you have, that it feels like you're hanging out with your smartest spooky lady friends. And, and that is what I think is like kind of the, the, the X factor as Pearl would say <laughs> about <Yeah>. that. <laughs> So you guys have been friends for 20 years. That's amazing. Can I ask how you guys first met? Oh, Uh, Jess was dating a very good high school friend of mine named Ashley. So I actually met her through her girlfriend, Ashley. Ashley and I are high school friends. And um, I think the first time we met was at prom. Yeah, I met you oh, at prom. Wow, so cool. <laughs> Kelly, I was there with my girlfriend Ashley at the time because we went to different high schools and uh, Kelly showed up all gothed out and everything. Ooh, and I was oh, like, yeah. holy crap. Who is this <laughs> who is person? This, who is this person? <laughs> and yeah, it wasn't until after my ex and I, we broke up that Kelly and I continued the friendship afterward. Like Kelly had pro- approached me because we had, as the three of us, we would hang out a bit together. Mm. And Kelly was like, teaching me how to watch horror movies because at that time I was like no way like I was watching yeah I was watching the ring under a blanket and Kelly was like oh. okay now see or hear the music change and something's gonna happen I'm like oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. 
it was it was very so sweet. Fun. Just even I remember Ashley and I were watching The Exorcist in the living room, and that's when they lived together. Just bailed in the Jerusalem, <laughs> like in Israel, she bailed. not happening. Israel out. It, yeah, so that was very, very early in my horror journey. So now, totally different story. Kelly, me, uh-huh. Kelly is showing me some more of the extreme side of horror, which I laugh now because, yeah, 10, 20, 20 plus 20 years ago, just then would have been like, what are you doing? You will never <laughs> be able to watch it. You'll never be able to get the images of grotesque out of your mind. I still can't get those images out of my mind, but it's... <laughs> Yeah, it's amazing yeah. how fast being a horror fan like just turns you into a husk, right? You're just like, <laughs> I'm dead inside. Bring it on. Bring on the printing activity. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's been amazing to watch Jess's kind of transformation and conversion into a full-fledged horror fan. I mean, it didn't take long once she like really opened herself up to it. I know I definitely am to blame for that, but the dark spectrum, I mean, I know Matt was, even though we're not, you're not friends anymore, like he was a good, big influence on showing you a variety of different movies and all the wonderful like production companies and distribution companies like Arrow and Vinegar Syndrome and all that fun stuff. And like, at that point, I barely even knew who they were. I'm all over it now, but it's, it's been amazing to watch her kind of grow and change. Yeah, it's oh, the same with so you, cool. Kelly, when it comes to your approaches with all the ideas that you come with the different films like often kelly will watch a movie and then she comes to me like i saw this i saw this i saw this and i'm like it's so fun watching her see watch these films now and gravitate these ideas where before she was just like yeah it was a movie i was entertained you know still like that now with some movies but (laughs) it's kind of hard like once you go down that road it's hard to come out of it i'll be like oh well oh that was interesting make some notes maybe it'll be an episode maybe not i gotta think about it more but once you go down that road it's hard to come back from it yeah, yeah, because you're not just watching anymore, you're engaging, yeah. which I think is yeah. the big yes. difference, right? And I personally yeah. way prefer that experience. Okay, so now that we know that, like us, you are dead inside, I would love to know, what are some of each of your favorite horror films? I'll say my favorite horror film of all time is Alien. I think it's Good a choice. perfect movie. <laughs> it's my favorite too. <laughs> and just watch it again in theaters. A, a local kind of indie theater is uh, doing a double feature of Alien and Aliens. And it was just so epic and wonderful to, to see it in theater again. Um, so that's my all-time favorite horror movie. Other favorites are Nightmare on Elm Street 4, The Dream Master, oh, uh-huh. The Witch, The Exorcist, um, The Monster Squad. Um, City of the Living Dead by Lucio Fulci is definitely a, like more of a realized all-time favorite. He's definitely in my top five. Wow, wow. you are Good an choice. omnivore. I yeah. love it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, and for me, uh, my top five would be Raw, uh, Ooh, The Witch, love it. The Void, The Evil Dead, and Hellraiser. Oh, wow. Both of those are great choices. Those are are all great. (laughs) You are really drawn to like transgressive, heady whore. This makes perfect sense to me. Yeah. (laughs) The academic is like. Jess is more into like generally like psychological horror, cerebral horror, like that type of thing. She's the thinker of this duo. That is definitely not me. I can show up and do a good job. (laughs) You better stop. Um, Okay, so 
since we obviously talk about women directed horror here, like that's our specialty. Do you have a favorite woman horror director? Well, for me right off the gate is Julia Durkinow because I love like Raw, one of my top favorite films, really like Titan. And when I finally saw her short junior, I was like, that cements it. I just absolutely love what this woman does and gets, I get so excited whenever I know that she's going to have something coming out. Oh, I know. (laughs) She's so cool. She is so, and she can wear a leather jacket. Like every interview with her, she's so damn cool. I'm like, if she's She's doing something cool. She looks like she needs to be like the leader of a girl gang, and I would like to rush that gang. Uh, How do I get yeah, out? Yeah. <laughs> immediately. Like uh, I think you probably have to eat a raw rabbit liver, but listen, sacrifices must be made. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. How about you, Kelly? Um, I was going to say the same thing, actually. Julia Ducanau is pretty fantastic. I'm really excited for her career and what, what she's going to pull out next. Unfortunately... And I was doing some good scrolling, just being like, am I missing anyone? Or like, is there somebody standing out? There's not a lot, again, unfortunately, based on industry, Mm. not a lot of female directors that have a lot of films under their belt. So there's a lot that's that's done like one really strong movie. And now I'm kind of just waiting to see what happens. So it's hard to say based on one movie. I will throw out there Lee Janik, who did Honeymoon and the Fear Street trilogy, because the Fear Street, those are... I mean, the Fear Street so trilogy are like my favorite movies of 2020, 2021. 2021 it was yeah. like the only time oh. I felt joy that year. And- <laughs> exactly. Oh, absolutely. Just <laughs> no, I can yeah. attest to that. Yes. Yes, joy. <laughs> yes. Loved them. So she at least has a couple of, of mo- some movies under her belt. So I'm looking forward to seeing where she goes next. Honeymoon was... I, it's been kind of hard to find streaming wise. I think I finally just found it somewhere that is easily accessible. So I really want to rewatch it. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's also a very interesting, dark, bold, striking movie. So I'm really excited for her. Yeah, yeah definitely. Definitely. I'm super excited for those next Fear Streets. I think she's producing Ugh. this time and it's going to be Chloe Okuno, who just did Watcher and one of the VHSs. Oh. She, Yes. I don't know if you guys have seen Watcher. It's more of a thriller than a straight up horror, but it was like I our saw favorite Watcher. Of Oh, did you yeah. like it? Oh, I loved Watcher. Yeah. Oh, I good. Really, yeah. We love that one. That ending, just the look on her face, you're just like, oh, yeah. So good. <laughs> <laughs> don't gaslight me. Yeah. Right? <laughs> okay. So, you guys, one of the things that you guys do is you definitely go off the beaten path. You do a lot of like more obscure things. So, as someone who has like a pretty good like knowledge of the breadth of the horror genre, are there any movies or filmmakers that you think people are really sleeping on that they should be watching more of? I'll chime in and say that Knife Plus Heart was an incredible queer horror movie. I did not make a a note of who did it, but um, oh my goodness. Um, Beautiful, fantastic, touching, violent, gory, heart-wrenching movie. I still think Joe Bagos is still kind Mm. of an underrated guy. I love Bliss so mm. much and also christmas uh bloody uh, christmas bloody christmas i uh-huh. like <laughs> died for in december <laughs> but bliss as a vampire movie a modern take on vampirism was just like chef's kiss so um i would definitely say like joe bagos uh, um him overall but bliss as an underrated film knife plus heart as an underrated uh, gem and 
on brand for tonight's discussion, but literally anything from New French Extremity, because that (laughs) is a fantastic batch of movies that are also very different and also very powerful. So anything from New French Extremity, I think, is just one to watch. Awesome. How about you, Jess? Well, a film last year that I really was struck by and I watched it. It was Moloch. Um, that it was a Dutch film that's on Shutter. Yes. Oh it's yeah. Like, no I one tried to make about- everybody watch it. Nobody watched it last year. <laughs> so I watched it. I didn't. I, yes. <laughs> I I was so surprised that no one's talking more about that film because I was just shocked by how good it was. Like I thought I was predicting where it was going and it didn't go where I expected right. it to. And I was just like Oh, that was that was a ride. That film really enjoyed that one. And then recently, um, the last couple six months or so, I've been really exploring the Japanese iceberg or horror iceberg. So I've been working through pretty much Japanese horror cinema because I want to just understand it as much as possible. It's one of my favorite uh, genres of horror. And there's just so many diverse directors that I've been watching so much. And there is a lot of exploitation films as well as like very subversive transgressive films is one I watched recently uh, called freeze or freeze mm. me by um, I can't remember the director's name, but it was from the early two thousands. And I literally only heard about it when Kelly and I did an episode on Takashi Miike and someone was talking about Takashi Miike's film um, audition and then in comparison and then they were talking about this other film freeze which is like a rape revenge film but very different and it oh, deals all about with like trauma and having to like live with that trauma like literally like you're the woman in the film experiences her rapist come back into her life and essentially what they do is they come back and they come back to rape her again and she succeeds in killing them but she freezes their bodies in freezers and she keeps them around her and it's kind of like this experience oh, of reliving her trauma but also trying and trying to overcome it at the same time too but it's like she has this break in her mind because you know the way the culture is when we talk about rape we don't talk about it or we don't address right. it and so yeah, that was a film that I was really, no one ever heard about. I didn't even know about it until we, I read about this in this article and then saw it on this Japanese iceberg. And I'm like, well, I need to watch this now. And I was really struck by that film. Oh, that's Ooh. interesting. I've never even heard of that one. That's great. Mm-mm. Yeah, Add it to the list. I mean, I love a, a take on a rape revenge film. Like that is a genre that for a very long time was just like, do not touch, do not want. Um, and then I think, it has evolved in ways that are so fascinating and some of the best sort of discourse happens in that that subgenre and i love particularly there are some women directed films in that subgenre that i think get at some stuff that people are scared to kind of go there they don't want to touch the third rail and they're missing out because like something like violation or mm. revenge are some of my all-time favorite films which has really really surprised me considering for a long time yeah. my my horror fandom like did not include those um, but your show is called I Spit on Your Podcast, so I assume you feel differently. <laughs> I completely understand that feeling because I was when I was first getting into discussing horror films, I'm like, rape revenge. I am not going near that and my own yeah. trauma around it, et cetera, et cetera. For episode five was rape revenge. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I spit on your I spit on your grave and MFA. Face your fears. Mm-hmm. MFA will forever live with Kelly and I. I think how many times have we've talked about this film? A lot. <laughs> I mean, there's a lot to talk about. Yeah, there's a lot to unpack <laughs> in that movie. <laughs> it's a super underrated, underseen rape revenge movie. Absolutely. And it's my favorite. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. 
Yep. Yep. It it walked so that uh, promising young woman could stumble. Mm. Rachel. That's really good. And I I like can, that. <laughs> Sorry. I'm like the sole person on the planet that does not like that movie. So every chance I get, I'm like. <laughs> Jess, you and I, we are like pod, we are like horror soulmates. I swear to oh, God. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> awesome. Okay. Last question. So as horror fans, we all, well, this is something Ariel and I talk a lot about, about when we first started watching how much like something being scary was a factor in our experience of watching horror movies. Since then, we're like all dead inside and we're more just like talking about, you know, there are other emotions that it evokes, but we still miss that feeling of being scared. So I'm curious for you guys, as someone who consumes a lot of horror films, <laughs> what was the last movie, horror movie that genuinely scared you? Huh. That's a hard question. Oh. Right? <laughs> um, I've been watching horror movies for almost 30 years now. Um, so I think the last movie that showed me a little bit of fear was a very like micro budget indie movie found footage called In a Stranger's House. Oh, I was I like popped it on in the afternoon, not thinking anything serious about it. And then I was having like the hide my ears and face and eyes. And I was like, oh, oh, fear. Right. This, oh, wow. this is a feeling that can be felt. Um, <laughs> really? I mean, it wasn't tremendous, but it definitely gave me, though, that like butterfly, nervous, scary feeling. I was like, oh, God, it's daytime. What is, what what's happening? Um, <laughs> honestly, prior to that, we're going back almost 17 years ago when Rack and Paranormal Activity came out. Ooh, Those two movies. Yeah. Wiggins off the charts. <laughs> Watching them now, less so. Um, it's hard to like repeat that feeling of being afraid because yeah, you obviously know what's going to happen. Rex still gives me the Wiggins. Oh, I should have put that. That's one of my all-time favorite horror movies as well, is Wreck. Um, mm. but yeah, mm -hmm. it's been a long time. It's re it's just really hard to scare me these days i always i call it a spookometer and there's five levels to it found footage always gets me to an immediate one i'm mm, always okay. at a one going into it because okay. found footage has that like loss of control i don't know what's going on anything can happen kind of vibe to it that i really like so so i already started at a one and then we can kind of go from there often i stay at the one but yeah <laughs> right yeah right, it's, right, it's right. been a long time <sighs> I'm going to yeah. check this out. I looked it up and it is on Tubi. So this it is sure getting watched. <laughs> the land of found footage movies. Yeah, no kidding. Right? Found footage. How about you, Jess? When was the last time you got, you the spookometer got topped out? <laughs> <laughs> um, well, like with Kelly, I love found footage. Um, and I always go in super scared all right from the bat. So the film that I can think of right off the bat right away that I've watched it twice already and i still get scared every time i watch it is noari the curse oh the, the, the uh, japanese uh, found yeah. footage horror film that deals with you know how like ghost hunting but ghost hunting gone wrong and possession and just yeah i'm just children, I, <laughs> children. there's like many layers of fear in it yeah, yeah exactly. i'd say that one that one got my yeah that I probably got me out of two out of five. That one did, but yeah, uh -huh. it's spooky. Yeah, that's a creepy underrated. one. 
Yeah, I have not sure. seen it, but it is also on Shutter, so I will be watching <laughs> yeah. that. I would definitely recommend. Basically, that, but... I just invite people on to tell me what movies are scary, so that I can feel something <laughs> yeah. again. I see. Yeah, <laughs> please tell us. Give us one. <laughs> oh my god! So this is embarrassing. Um, like I had nothing that scared me for a really, really long time, but I got. Not through the whole thing, but there were moments in that stupid ass movie Smile that genuinely I was like uncomfortable in my body, which I hadn't felt in a really, really long time. So like, even though I see the movie's flaws, it gave me something. So I can't totally hate on it. That's great. We just I mean, that's all we could hope for, right? <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> fair. That's fair. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. What about you, Ariel? Do you have an answer for this? I don't want to. I'm totally putting you on the spot. You are. Uh, yeah, I'm trying to think. Not that long ago, I watched The Wailing for the first time, and that oh, that's creeped a good me one. out. Yeah. That's, a That's a much cooler answer. Change my answer to that one when we edit it. I want you to just like you dub smile into yours and wailing okay. into With mine. Okay, cool. Thank you. <laughs> awesome. All right, cool. Well, thank you so much for answering these questions. I feel like I feel like I know you guys better, and I know the listeners do too. I think now we're primed and ready to go into our proper review correctly. So, Ariel, please remind our listeners and let our new listeners know how we handle spoilers on the More Deadly podcast. So eventually we're going to spoil this entire movie, but first I'm going to tell you a little bit about the director and the making of the movie, and then we're going to give you some general overall thoughts about it, whether it's worth checking out. This one is available on Shudder. So before we get into spoilers, if you want, you can hop off, go watch it, and come on back. And Rachel will give you another spoiler warning when we're going to dive into the good stuff. Yeah, definitely. All right, Ariel, tell me about this movie and its director, Claire Denis. Yeah, so today we're talking about Trouble Every Day. I can't remember if we said that already, but... I don't think we did, <laughs> because I'm good at this. <laughs> <laughs> so... Uh, Claire Denis is a French filmmaker and screenwriter. She was born in Paris in 1946, but actually grew up in West Africa, traveling to places that were under French colonial rule at the time because her father was a civil servant. But her father... Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Just a touch. Um, so her father believed in these colonies having independence from France, and this perspective ended up influencing her film's some of which have dealt with the legacy of French colonialism. So mm. her earliest exposure to film was actually watching old damaged copies of war movies that got sent over to Africa from the United States. And that was sort of, yeah, her earliest exploration of film. <laughs> so when she was 12, she was diagnosed with polio. And because of that, she had to leave Africa and return to France to seek treatment. And this is where she really started to develop a love for books and cinema. And a lot of her films apparently have a lot of allusions to literature that she's read over the years. While in France at this time, she's talked about feeling like an outsider because she wasn't raised there. She didn't go to school with these same kids and learn the same things because she grew up in Africa. And this feeling of otherness is something that she would explore in many of her films throughout her life. She actually went on to study film at the IDHEC, which has since been renamed La Famille and is actually the same school where Julia de Cornau went. <laughs> Mm, yeah. Interesting. I can see some connective DNA <laughs> uh -huh. in some of this. <laughs> <For sure. laughs> so 
earlier in her career, she worked as an assistant director for a lot of years um, for many famous directors, including Robert Enrico, Wim Wenders, and Jim Jarmusch. She actually went on to direct her first feature-length film in 1988 at the age of 40, which I think is very cool. That is very cool. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, This movie was called Chocolat, not to be mistaken for that one with Johnny Depp. That's what I thought it was. And I was like, this is a wild swing in a different direction. I saw that on a plane once and was like, no, thank you, sir. (laughs) (laughs) So this one is actually about a French woman who returns to her childhood home in Cameroon formerly a colonial outpost where she's flooded with memories of her servant that she had when she was growing up. So a very different film. Yeah. I mean, but you, you it had Julia, Julia Binoche in it. Like, you can't blame me for being a little confused. I mean, right? actually that makes so much sense because Julia Binoche has been in a bunch of Claire Denise films. So vindication. Vindication. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so after this, she went on to direct many short films, a lot of mini series and over a dozen feature length films. She's also co-wrote many of her scripts with her frequent collaborator, Jean-Paul Fargo, and used the same cinematographer, Agnes Godard, in nearly all of them. And a lot of the actors that she uses, like Juliette Binoche, star in a bunch of her films. And a few of the actors who were in the film today that we're going to talk about, Trouble Every Day, were in a number of her films before, too. So in 1996, she directed a film called Nanette and Bonnie that was her first real success. It has a French name. I use the American one because, as we know, I'm incapable of saying French words. I apologize to the <laughs> French people. I'm just not very good at it. Uh, this was her first. Yeah. <laughs> this was her first real success. And then in 1999, she directed Beau Travail, which became her first breakthrough into international recognition. So I haven't seen any of her other films, but in my research, they're often described as lyrical, abstract, and dreamlike. And I think some of that, you know, we'll probably talk about how that holds true for this one, too. So after that success, the very next film she directed was Trouble Every Day, which she also co-wrote. And it is her first and only foray into horror and is considered to be part of the new French extremity wave of horror. So Mm -hmm. for those of you that are listening who are unfamiliar, New French Extremity is the name given to a wave of transgressive and shocking French films made from the late 90s through the early 2000s. And the term was coined by James Quant, a critic uh, who wrote an essay about it, to refer to a subgenre of subversive movies that kind of push the boundaries of sex, violence, and narrative, and that frequently break normal cinematic conventions. Movies like Martyrs, High Tension, Inside, and In My Skin are all considered new French extremity. And then like we were talking about earlier, Julia de Cournau and Coralie Fargo are also considered to be part of what is now, I guess, dubbed new, new French extremity because their films are kind of reviving this sub genre. Yeah. That's crazy. I do like that Claire was like on the forefront of this and in casting Beatrice Dalle, I'm sure I'm saying that perfectly. People are going to think they've been transported <laughs> to France. I Sorry to disappoint you. You're still wherever you started this sentence. Um, because she was also La Femme in right. Inside, which I was yeah. like, it was it was interesting to see her pop up here. I was like, I know that face. I know that <laughs> smile. <laughs> oh, she is an icon and like a tour yeah. de force. I mean, yeah, I would I love, love to see her in a quote normal movie. 
if if right. she's in those, I don't know. Incredible. In both of these movies, she says like zero things. So it's just I think it's harder to do a lot of physical acting than it is to do like verbal acting, I guess. I'm not an actor, but it just seems like it'd be way more challenging to express emotion truly just through body language. Yeah. So she's mm-hmm. incredible. Just overall. Yeah, she's a real talent for sure. Yeah. 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 So uh, James Quant, the guy who coined the term, has since said that he actually regrets that because in his essay, he named Claire Denae as and her name after that sort of became synonymous with new French extremity. But she only really made this one film that fits into that and doesn't seem to actually consider herself to be part of that movement. But hmm. she's sort of always lumped in with it. Yeah. Even though, I mean, it does kind of fit the qualifications. So I guess it's certainly. I mean, like, she doesn't want to claim Absolutely. it. We can't force her. But I don't know. I think it's kind of cool that she kind of. Yeah. Her, her work was so powerful that a literal movement was like got in line behind her. <laughs> Maybe. Well, absolutely. It's something to be super proud of. And I'm not a purist in any sense of the word per se, but the thing that's really interesting about this like batch of movies and this like decade of new French extremities is that they're very French. They come from French anxieties, historical anxieties. And that's what's really interesting about them. Raw to me is something that could be set anytime, anywhere. It's a very much like a universal story. Mm-hmm. Um, I have yet to read something that's like, this is so deeply French because of all of these reasons. Whereas all these oh movies and the, the batch of new French extremity are deeply French and extreme and disturbing and unsettling and all their own various diverse ways. And hers, I think fits into it perfectly because it is very much a French film, very French. Yeah. And that's at its core. Well, what's also really interesting is um, Alexander West, uh, she, Alexander West wrote the book on New French Extremity. And, well, she wrote a book on New French Extremity and she talks <laughs> she about book. it. She wrote the book. Yeah, sorry. Alexander West wrote the book on New French Extremity. And I like how when she talks about this film, she also kind of brings up how New French Extremity is also sometimes called the cinema of de, de corpse or the cinema of the body, um, mm-hmm. which is... Yeah. When you think of a lot of new French extremity films, there's often so much to do with about the body, about like, you know, some sort of vis- physical or visceral emotion or films or experience for the body. And I think with Claire Denis being lumped into that is because her own filmography deals with, she does a lot about bodies. She likes to break genre rules, but often she focuses on human stories, which I find new French extremity films do focus on, is very human stories, but she's always so focused on the body. And we'll see that in Trouble Every Day, but like everything from like the camera angles and stuff. So to look at it back and see how the body can be morphed and harmed and how new French extremity like exemplifies that. I can see why people would be like, would like lump, like would say like she's the forerun or the, that film lumps her into that because of just that aspect of the film itself. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And her cinematographer, Agnes Godard has said of this movie and I think maybe some of the other ones that she wants the camera to be like so up close and personal that she could reach out and touch the actor, you know, that she's very Mm. interested in the way the body moves and really getting up close and personal with it. So that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. I mean, it definitely comes through in this where I'm like, uh, is that an elbow? (laughs) I don't know. What am I looking at? (laughs) 
So Trouble Every Day premiered in 2001 at the Cannes Film Festival in a midnight showing where apparently people were so shocked by the graphic nature of the film that there was booing, including by some French film critics. (laughs) Really? Yes. And some people walked out and two women even fainted and an ambulance had to be called. So, yeah. (laughs) They were shocked and dismayed that she had made a horror movie. She had done Chocola and she was so just a you know, a quote filmmaker that making a horror film, as we know, as horror fans, horror is still very much looked down upon as a, like a degenerate, like lowbrow form of entertainment and cinema. So here we are at this respected, highly respected film festival with a highly respected filmmaker coming out with trouble every day. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. They were not pleased. No, they were not. <laughs> That's very accurate. Um, Claire Denis said at a press conference, sort of in response to this, you know, people not being so happy with it at the premiere, she said, quote, explicit or violent, it's actually a love story. Being explicit is not what I'm interested in, and I don't think it's about cannibalism either. It's about desire and how close the kiss is to the bite. I think every mother wants to eat her baby with love, we just took this on to a new frontier. <laughs> she is an interesting woman, by the way. If you've ever read any of her interviews, I feel like the way she speaks is kind of the same way that her films are. Like she speaks in a way that's really lyrical and sometimes kind of obscures her point a little bit, but she's very <laughs> smart. <laughs> so Uh, Like you were just saying, Kelly, the critics largely panned this movie at the time, probably in part, like you were saying, because this was on the heels of two movies that were hugely successful and completely different than Trouble Every Day. So French critic Jean-Paul Marceau of the magazine Premiere said, quote, the film is terrible. There is no redeeming context. The horror seems quite gratuitous. I can't admire this. (laughs) Damn! Yeah. <laughs> wow. Sick Ver- burn. Wow. Oh, yeah. Waving. <laughs> uh, Variety called it overlong, underwritten, and needlessly obscure instead of genuinely atmospheric. So people kind of came hard for uh, for this one. <laughs> when did the tides turn? Because I feel like this is a pretty lauded film. Like whenever you, particularly in the women in horror sort of vertical, right? Like it's always in the list. Yeah. Back when there was like. I mean, to be fair, there was a time where there were 10 movies and so it's on the list. But I feel like <laughs> right. even since then, like it's kind of seen as it has. It like has. A cult yeah. Following. Well, years later, a lot of critics kind of reevaluated it and wrote about it in a different way. And of course, it's found this sort of cult following among horror fans. Tiff even did like a Claire Denis retrospective and gave these sort of very impassioned speeches about her films, including Trouble mm-hmm. Every Day, about how beautiful it is um, and how kind of undervalued it was at the time. So I think it it just got reevaluated by people who decided that there was something worthwhile there. And I think maybe just the shock of it, people weren't expecting it. And their initial reaction was maybe not in keeping with what the film actually deserved, you know? <laughs> that must be feel very good to have. That must be validating to like, yeah. you know, to have that sort of renaissance of your film. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So after making Trouble Every Day, she's continued to write and direct, including helming 10 more feature-length films. In 2018, she directed the sci-fi thriller High Life that starred Robert Pattinson and Mia Goth. 
And last year, she directed two films, a drama thriller called Both Sides of the Blade and another thriller called Stars at Noon. And Both Sides of the Blade got really excellent reviews. So she's still like doing stuff. I couldn't unfortunately find any info about what she's working on, you know, in the next few years, uh, but she doesn't seem to be slowing down at all. So I'm sure we'll see more. Unfortunately, she hasn't returned to horror, but. Well, One can I mean, people were throwing up in the theater. I'm guessing yeah. probably it was not the most edifying experience. <laughs> I guess if you're booed, you're like, oh, yeah. you know, maybe I'll just bow Chunk my head. a lot and move on to other yeah. genres. <laughs> What's also really nice about Claire Denis is she doesn't like being defined by any genre. She likes to, to just true. tell human stories and she likes to traverse all different genres. So she may return back to horror if she has yeah. a story that inspires her, but she's done horror comedy romance drama semi-autobiographical stuff like she's i that's what i like about her she just i'll do whatever i fucking want and i don't give a yeah. shit <laughs> like yeah. sorry can i swear i don't know if i can yeah, oh absolutely <laughs> go for it <laughs> anyway, yeah. well that's good because i mean so many of these stories we hear are about you know these women horror directors who come out they put something out and if it doesn't get the praise right away they go into like director jail we talked to rachel mm -hmm. talalay about this and how like she basically was blackballed for a decade after freddie's dead so there's something i mean obviously she's made a comeback she's amazing but there's something very edifying about hearing about someone who like did not get critical praise and still was able to like push their way into making being a prolific filmmaker that that is I mean even though she was not appreciated in her time there is kind of a really cool story there of perseverance yeah absolutely because like you were saying so many of those women filmmakers who started out in the 80s and just kept mm -hmm. hitting brick walls finally got something released maybe it didn't do that well or maybe it did and then they end up you know getting relegated to tv even if they wanted to continue making films so it's cool that she was able to you know somehow push through that yeah. Yeah. Very cool. Very French. Good for her. Go Claire. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Awesome. Okay, great. So um, I guess we can get into our actual review. This is the part where we just kind of talk about our general feelings about the film. Do we recommend it um, so that our listeners know if they should go ahead and check it out and come back? Um, and then we'll get into the spoiler town. So as our guests, um, why don't we start with, uh, I know this is your favorite movie, Kelly. So do you want to kick us off with your thoughts <laughs> or one of your favorite movies? I will. It's actually, um, it's one of my favorite new French extremity movies. It's mm -hmm. also one of my favorite disturbing extreme horror movies. Mm -hmm. um, so a spoiler free review. So I have a little something written because this, it's hard for me not to spoil things. But, <laughs> but, <laughs> do what you gotta is, do. <laughs> right? It is a beautiful, interesting, subdued, but also deeply visceral movie. I think Trouble Every Day is about sexuality, about repression, isolation, and love through the lens of cannibalism. Some might also say vampirism, which would be an interesting topic of conversation. Yeah. Um, and on this rewatch, because I've seen it about five times now in the last couple of years, again, I love it. Um, for me, the way I look at it, it's this, again, coming back to the fact that it is a new French extremity, so deeply French. That's what all these films are about. There's something very French about them, um, is that it's the perversion of Paris. 
a place that is symbolic of love and romance turns dark, vicious, and deviantly sexual. And so that's where I see this movie. And that's why I think it is so fantastic and definitely deserves some recognition or maybe a rewatch if you didn't like it on the first watch. The power of the rewatch, I think, is very strong. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. definitely agree with right. Kelly on that because I first watched this film for uh, Let's Scare Jessica to Death, Women in Horror Month, our first year. Uh-huh. Kelly heard this film, <laughs> Trouble Every Day with Raw. And I was like, thanks, Kelly. Strong and New French Extremity was with this film, yeah, Trouble Every Day. And I will like support what Kelly says in, in her spoiler free review and also say, love is horror and lust is terrifying. Mm. Mm. That's interesting. Ooh. I like mm. that. I definitely can agree that romance is horror because it <laughs> absolutely is. Agree. All right. How about you, Ariel? What did you, this is a first watch for you. Yes? Question yeah. Mark? I had never seen this movie before. In fact, I was actually a little bit nervous going in, I have to admit, because I have not really ventured into New French Extremity. I've Ooh. always been a little worried that like, emotionally or psychologically or something that I couldn't handle it you know <laughs> it would go go a little bit too far like you know we've covered revenge and raw but I've never seen like the actual new French extremity I was a little bit concerned but I ended up liking this movie a lot there are some parts of it that I don't quite jive with but there's so much here that I found to be interesting and I think that it ended up being far less like gratuitous than I thought it was going to be and more artistic than I expected going into it. And so that kind of uh, changed my perspective, I think, a lot. I really, I mean, you guys already mentioned this, but I like that this movie has this sort of ongoing exploration about like the this sort of razor thin separation between like violence and sex and, mm-hmm. uh, you know, what the filmmaker is trying to say even about like the Madonna horror complex when you compare some of the female characters and I also think that the way in which the violence and the sex is filmed we have to talk about too because I think it's really interesting how sort of beautiful and like disturbing it is at the same time (laughs) yeah (laughs) I would say for people who are listening to this who haven't checked it out and haven't you know, done any kind of deep dive into New Fresh Extremity, I think this is one to to try. I think if you like transgressive movies that are going to kind of attempt to like push you outside of your comfort zone a little bit, that this is a good one to try. I would just say as like a warning, there is sexual assault in this movie. So just know that going in. Yeah. Yeah. I should have scrolled a little further when I ran to Does the Dog Die when he got a puppy. I, <laughs> I was like, puppy's fine. All right, close the app. <laughs> yeah, this was also a first watch for me. Um, I have delved a little bit into French Extremity, not as deep as I probably should have. Like I've seen High Tension a couple of times. I've seen um, Inside. That's about it so this was one that has been on my to watch list forever but you know there's so many movies out there I kept finding ways to push it off so I was actually very grateful because it forced this to the top of my queue and it felt like um a hole in my knowledge base of women directed horror because like you said it kind of kicked off an entire movement that I don't think she always gets full credit for I mean obviously that's probably okay with her, but <laughs> I like to see our, our lady directors get all the credit they can possibly get. So I found this movie to be incredibly engaging 
and I, as I said before we started, I feel complex feelings about it that I'm excited to process with you guys because um, you said it's divisive. And I don't feel, I feel very caught in the middle, actually, because I think it is, like you said, lyrical and beautiful and like it has this languid, almost surrealistic tone. Um, it's mysterious. And I, I feel like I'm moving. The needle's moving. I'm finding out where I am as I'm saying this out loud. I think I liked it. So, <laughs> <laughs> And I think also having this perspective of the way that it's about a corruption of Paris helps me because there's some like gender politics in this that feel incredibly unresolved to me. Yeah. And I think it kind of pulls it out of that realm in a way that gives me a little distance so I can think about it more like holistically. Um, I think that this is a movie that requires your full attention. You cannot watch this movie on your phone. You have to have patience with it and like let yourself sort of sink into the the mood of it. Um, Vincent Gallo is a is an actor that I I'm always like I have this push pull with him, but I find him deeply intriguing. Like Buffalo sixty six is a movie that I really like. I find him both like incredibly beautiful and distasteful i don't know like yeah. there is a little <laughs> bit of like uh -huh. like how this movie is about like the tension between like a kiss and a bite right like i have a like an attraction repulsion around him that i find like really like strums my neurons so anytime he's on screen i'm immediately engaged um yeah i think this is a, a very interesting movie that i i want to i want to discuss it more because i feel unresolved but also like deeply impressed by if that makes any sense so look at nodder at you yeah. you're like yeah <laughs> <laughs> so my suggestion would be absolutely like put down your phone fire up a uh, shutter and give this thing a watch uh because i think there's lots of movies that go down easier but this is one that is like it's like it's gonna stick to your ribs <laughs> kind of a cannibalism joke. <laughs> it does. It is also a movie that I think my love of it strengthens every time I watch it. And yeah. I don't often have the patience to give a movie a lot of rewatches to like get to a certain point. If it yeah. doesn't hit me the first time, I usually don't go back to it. Yeah. But again, the power of the rewatch. And I think you'll get even more from this movie if you at least give it like two watches. Like yeah. let it, the first time, let it just hit you. The second time, let it sink in. And then you'll yeah. see. It's a really yeah. good point. I feel like I, yeah, I didn't get to fully engage with like the themes of it as much because I was kind of caught up in sort of the narrative and trying to like piece together what happens. And like you do get some resolution around what's going on, but it feels honestly superfluous. Like I almost didn't need the explanation because what I'm actually engaging on has nothing to do with like standard narrative, I think. Mm -hmm. That yeah. makes mm -hmm. sense. Yep. Yeah. All right. Awesome. Okay. Any other thoughts before we head into the synopsis and the spoiler zone? Because no, we got to get into this. this thing. All right, yeah. cool. All right. <laughs> I wrote this very fast, so please bear with me. All right. So first of all, let me just remind our listeners that there will be spoilers in this synopsis. If you are super spoiler adverse, this is your chance to jump ship, hop on out, grab your phone, hit the old pause button, take your, your fire up a browser, go to the shutters. <laughs> Listen, I'm vamping. I'm giving people time. Because I always say to people like, spoilers, and then he was dead the whole time. Right. Give me a chance. <laughs> 
I gotta like I gotta figure out which pocket it's in and then realize my phone's in my bra actually like give me a chance <laughs> so anyway you should have by now found your your phone in your bra so hit pause and we'll see you soon all right synopsis Dr. Shane Brown Vincent Gallo and his wife June are headed to Paris for a romantic vacation it goes perfectly well, and they live happily ever after. Roll credits. <laughs> right? That's what happened. Right? Nope. Romance nope. is horror. Oh, right, right, right. Okay, shit. Okay, let me try that again. All right. Turns out the good doctor has uh, an ulterior motive for heading back to the city, uh, city of lights, city of love. I don't know, whatever the, the nickname is. He wants to talk down, track down Dr. Leo Simonow and his wife, Corey. Um, and uh, when we meet that happy couple, we learn that she has some issues. She has some cannibalistic <laughs> tendencies. And so he is forced to lock her in the house every day, which is, you know, again, so romantic and sweet. Um, and we see why when a neighbor breaks in and is first seduced and then consumed by Corey, which in, in a scene that is incredible like his screams will haunt me forever oh yeah um <laughs> <laughs> meanwhile dr brown is having a bad time on his honeymoon um he is like we discover that like Corey, he has some cannibalistic desires of his own that are making um intercourse with his new wife challenging so he's doing everything he can to resist eating his wife it turns out we find out, like I said, there is some narrative explanations here where we find out that there was some human experimentation that occurred in the past that I assume is what caused these changes and made this like whatever it is that the sexual desire is now linked to this a desire to consume or to drink blood, potentially, if this is a vampire situation. Eventually, he succeeds in finding Corey. They make out, but then he kills her. Uh, he can't resist his urge to to kill again so he goes and buys a puppy and makes me very nervous and he smells some people on the subway and then he goes and eats a maid the end yeah <laughs> wow. literally much. eats a maid like, I, literally. I don't think I have to tell you this but I am a professional writer <laughs> <laughs> what I do for a living yeah. <laughs> awesome okay the spoiler zone we are officially in it so I'm going to go back to you Kelly what are the things that you wanted to say that you were not oh. able to say before about uh, about this movie oh oh my goodness wow um where do we even begin with this incredible movie um, thank you for that great <laughs> Great synopsis. Um, <laughs> wow. Well, I think one of the biggest themes is one that I have really turned on to, let's say, is sexuality. <laughs> I mean, we don't actually see them, if I remember correctly. Again, I've seen this five times, but I see sometimes new things each time I watch it. Like right. two watches ago, I realized that June has a bite scar on her arm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, but on the first two couple of watches, I didn't notice that. Um, anyways, but it's so it could be vampirism, could be cannibalism. Again, we I as far as I can tell, you do not see them actually consume flesh. There's mm. tearing of flesh, there's biting off flesh, there's bloodied mouths, but mm. not an actual uh consumption of flesh that we see. So that's why I see like cannibalism, vampirism. Either way, a lot of that stems from the same desire of consumption. Yeah. Uh, blood, flesh. There's blood and flesh. Um, but I love the the sexuality of this. The 
the traversing the, the lines of pleasure and pain, sex and death. And that is a very taboo subject to go down death, sex and putting them so closely tied together, which I find very, very interesting. Um, I liked when <laughs> I think it was Errol that said that mothers just like love their babies so much they want to eat them. But that mm -hmm. is, you know, it's cheeky. But when you come to sex and desire and lust, as Jess was bringing up, that apparently is terrifying. I'm sorry, Jess. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but we can see where it can like, can easily get out of control. And for them, you know, on this watch, I did notice that human experiment. They say it once because mm -hmm. so much of the story is left up to bits and pieces and for us to kind of start piecing together and on multiple watches it's easier to piece it together but it's still very ambiguous it's still not a very straightforward story but i just feel like sensuality eroticism sexuality all of that is what's so deeply tied into it and it comes down to i feel like especially with let's say shane and cora because they can't fully connect with their partners. And I think that that is what is so sad. This movie is very melancholic. It's beautiful. Yes. It's sad. Again, the loneliness that these people must feel, the isolation that they must feel. Like, Cora is literally isolated because she is locked away in essentially a windowless room. She has yeah. to stay in her bedroom. He locks all the doors. He locks all the windows up. And... For these two people that can't truly fully express their sexual desires or the people that they love without hurting them, that can very much negatively affect our human mind. If we're unable to express ourselves sexually and uh, that human connection, that emotional connection that perhaps we have with people, again, coming down to this story that they're in love, they're both married couples, monogamous as we can see, well, Cora, you know, she does her own thing. <laughs> um, but uh, I'll leave it at that and we'll, like, <laughs> spread it out through the rest of you folks but that's where like generally like as one kind of main point about this movie is what really deeply affects me is that repression of un and isolation and loneliness of not being able to fully express yourself yeah mm -hmm. no I think that's such a good point and you know what I think is interesting too is because you get both the Vincent Gallo Shane character and you get Corey and her relationship, you're seeing how both of them are kind of moving through the world with this. And I think, yeah, like Shane and his wife, June is portrayed as this sort of very virginal, very innocent woman, while Corey yeah. is this sort of feral, almost like monster who has to be locked up. And I yeah. think what's interesting in this sort of idea that I brought up earlier about the Madonna horror complex is that Corey is the one ultimately who is punished and must die for what she did while Shane is able to just keep on going on. And I know that she's yeah. a little bit further along in this quote unquote disease or whatever it is that they have. Yeah. Um, and it's less controllable, but I still think that's interesting. And that even the, the maid, the housekeeper at the hotel who is raped and killed, which I'm sure we'll talk about that scene. Um, earlier in the film, like it, her, when her very first introduction to her basically is her masturbating and she also has to die. And I think that's interesting what it's trying to say there about like who is punished and who gets to continue 
living their life, you know? See, this is where I'm struggling with the, the sexual yeah, politics yeah, in yeah, this yeah. movie. That's why I'm like, ladies, yeah. tell me why this is okay. Because I think she's not, I don't think she's like promoting that idea. I think she's trying to point out how destructive it is. Mm, okay. Okay. I, mm. I can buy into this. This is interesting. I mean, because Corey is literally like locked away like she's Frankenstein's monster or something, right? And mm-hmm. like she's so feral and she keeps going out to kill. And it's even like her husband who has to kind of paternalistically control what she's doing. And she's so miserable. I think at one point she even says she wants to die and he won't. Yeah, that's that like happen. the only thing she says. Yeah. Yeah. yeah exactly. Well, she's. She is this dominant force. Corey yeah. is dominant. She knows what she wants. She's forceful in bed. Like you can tell even like there's a flashback scene where you see Corey and Leo and they're talking with the one doctor there about, you know, trying to help her or something like that. And you can tell about the way she is. She's seductive. The mm-hmm. The assistant is attracted to her. Like, and she knows what she wants and she's going to go out and get it. She is a woman who has become the predator. And that's not often something that is what we see in films right women are often the prey it's very rarely are we the predators and corey you i think she was always a very um firm in her sexuality to begin with and when we find out that it was clear that her and shane had had some sort of sexual relationship when they were in guana together when they first met as a couple but he doesn't admit to it he says there was an attraction she's like well what do you mean by attraction he's like you don't understand it and that's where i get that idea of like how like lust can be terrifying like you don't understand where that attraction comes from it just comes up you're just all of a sudden just viscerally attracted to someone and you want to see where that goes and pursue that but at the same time you don't want to admit that to yourself and i think with shane he struggles so much because he He's a cis white American man who needs to be in control of his emotions, control of his body and his physicality. And you can see that he's trying to control this disease with all the pharmaceutical drugs that he has access to. That was something that I saw in this uh, second watch of this film, the differences in how they're trying to treat this new disease. Like Corey, a woman, and her husband, a black doctor in Paris, they don't have the resources to be able to treat her properly with disease so she's got to be locked away he's doing all the thing in the the basement of his house so he doesn't have those and he's trying to save her and cure her where she's like just please just let me die like this is i can't live this way where as shane seems to be controlling it with whatever drugs he's taking we don't know they're all unlabeled they make references to his uh job with the pharmaceutical companies and how he likes to make profit and money and then a you know, and eventually he's going to, you know, by the end of the film, we think, oh, he's going to control his desires with all these drugs he's taking, then just murder people, take it out and then go back to his like virginal yeah. wife. In yes, bed with exactly. her yeah. 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 This is where I kind of struggle. Like, I think you're right that Corey definitely was probably someone who was like very in tune with their their sexuality, very liberated. Um, if anything, I think the film almost paints her as like too liberated. I, my issue is it feels like all of the women only have access to sexual gratification through the permission structure of the men in their life. And that's where I, I mean, like I, I'm trying to figure out if that's something it's just like, you know, a part of like French culture, like these are not, this is not. Uh, worthy of discussion or if it is Claire trying to specifically talk about that but like one woman is locked away unable to access quite literally locked away another one is cut off from from sexual gratification by a partner that can't have sex Mm -hmm. with her and then the maid essentially is not she semi-consents but then has that consent taken away from her so like none of the women in this film 
Well, I mean, I guess Corey does have a good time. But you know what I'm saying? Like, it, it's, <laughs> yeah. it's because she's stolen that time as opposed to being able to have agency around choosing that. And so that's when I say mm-hmm. I'm struggling with the gender politics. I, I would love to get your guys' take on that. Yeah. I think you're absolutely right. I mean, it's it's not a very straightforward movie. It's mm-hmm. definitely not perfect in everything. I think Claire Denis is doing this on purpose because it's okay. very complicated. We have a French couple, we have an American couple, and I'm Canadian. I don't know the ins and outs of French culture, but I'm sure there's some kind of very like stark kind of differences between what monogamous relationships or marriages are like and between these two different countries. But there's like subversion. And I I liked your uh, word of regression. There is some subversion. There is some regression. There's some that's very, you know, standard um, gender politics in this. But then there's, I I think what I tend to focus more on, maybe because I just like want to focus on the positive, but- Corrid, you know, that whole scene of the robbery, we're so used, again, we're so used to women being the victims. So in that mm-hmm. situation where these these men are entering her home, we're supposed to, in theory, historically be afraid for Cora. We're like, oh, the men are invading your safe yeah. space. You're going to be the victim. But oh, no, she is the one that's going <laughs> to be the victims of these men, or at least the one that she does get her little hands on. <laughs> and then we come to Shane and his scene, because it's almost like this build up to Cora's scene, because all of the, so far, the violence and everything's been like hinted at. And then bam, we get that very intense, still makes me deeply uncomfortable to watch scene with Cora demolishing this young man's life. And then later on, we get again that little build up with Shane throughout this whole movie. Is he, is he not going to be do anything? What's going to happen with him? He seems to be kind of in control, but it's like this calculated mm-hmm. control that his scene is scary. I mean, Cora is mm-hmm. scary, but it's more of this unexpectedness. Him, we mm-hmm. expected this. We knew this is what Shane is capable of. This We knew this is what he was going to do. It's how right. real and normalized that is and how familiar it is. We fear right. this aspect of masculinity. It's angry, it's violent, it's uncontrollable. So maybe there's a comment on, well, this is actually just re- reality. So his kind of scenario is more of like what we're used to seeing. And then the Leo and Cora kind of relationship situation is not what we're used to seeing. And maybe we can play around with those themes a little bit more and understand it, you know? Yeah, no, that's an interesting perspective. Because I mean, I want to get to the place that you are. Like that is that is where I want to end up on this. And I, I feel it. like I'm on this weird bubble. You know what I, I mean? Where there are things that I'm really like the transgressive, like, counter-programming to like female sexuality that we normally see like that. I'm like, yes, Mm -hmm. give me, give me, give me. But then there's like little, little things that I'm like, yeah. When a woman is fully sexually realized, she becomes feral and must be under the, like must be contained by the, you know, those things. Like there's a discomfort in that, that, um, that I'm kind of like going back and forth between, but you know what? This is my favorite kind of thing. I love this. This feels, I'm, I, I love this tension of like trying to kind of process feelings. Like so much of the stuff we consume is junk food and it just goes in one. And like, this is requiring a lot more labor, which is, I think the fascinating work of a film like this. Yeah. You know, it's interesting because as I was talking about like the Madonna horror stuff and like comparing these two female characters or these three female characters, the way that I took away from it was like that the filmmaker was 
was portraying that in a negative light. Like it's not a good thing. And then at the mm-hmm. end, this sort of like the white straight man is the one who gets to walk away with the prize, quote unquote, you know? Um, and to me that felt like a critique, but as you're talking about it, <laughs> it's making me wonder how much of that is just because that's how I view it and not mm-hmm. what the movie was actually trying to say. Do you know what I mean? Like that's how I think about mm-hmm. sexual politics and maybe so yeah. maybe I'm projecting that onto the film and it's not actually what the filmmaker intended. I'm not really sure. I mean, I think that I think she's definitely trying to say a lot about how how like strong desire can be and like you were saying lust can be and that kind of uh you know how judged or like almost criminalized quote-unquote deviant sexuality Mm. can be anything Mm -hmm. that's not heteronormative I think there's something about that and about like sexual obsession and and even like the right that some people feel when they have this sort of sexual obsession to feel like it's okay to pursue that you know like like those those young I don't know hooligans or whatever that keep trying to break into her house like they will stop at nothing to get into her house you know um, yeah I don't know I kind of feel like this movie in some ways is like opening a lot of conversations but maybe doesn't in the end like have a real solid firm like grasp on what the theme or the like the conclusion of the theme is do you know what I mean like it's asking questions mm-hmm. but doesn't necessarily like follow through completely or is it a case where my like my sexual like my sex politics sexual politics are 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 kind of obscuring what the movie's actually saying like Mm. i'm so caught up in in processing that that i'm not necessarily i'm missing actually what the movie's saying i don't know what do you think jess (laughs) help me out (laughs) well we keep going back we keep going back to this like idea of obsession and sexual Mm -hmm. like you know uh, so I'm gonna say like not dominance, but like this need for sexual intimacy, right? Like when we love someone so much, we uh, or have a, such a visceral attraction to someone, we just want to devour them. We just want want to feel everything mm-hmm. about them, you know, as close as possible. You know, between Shane and June, like they love each other so much, but they can't consummate this relationship. Or maybe they tried and they had a scary incident, like you know, we saw that June with that bite yeah. mark, you know. Mm-hmm. And she knows there's something not right about her partner, but to constantly be denied that sexual gratification between the two of them to allow each other to kind of like, you know, literally consummate their love and really be together, you know, is constantly denied to June. And you can tell that she's a sexual being. She is. Mm -hmm. She has given off those vibes right from the get go. And Shane is like, I got to know, like, (laughs) shut this down. Um, but he wants to do it, but like, he's got his own transgressions. He's got his own, like, you can tell that he was probably a playboy in the future and he's always gotten what he wants when it comes to sexual desire. And that's probably why him and core, when they did, I, I assume that they were both like, she was probably affected in some way by this experimentation and it transferred over to him, like, a you know, mm. and he yeah. becomes, and has also become infected because when he goes to see Core, he's all like, he's not talking about looking for a cure. I don't understand. Like when he finds out that she's sick, he goes to her house, he watches her playing with fire. And then when she tries to like, and he keeps saying to her, I'm sick, I'm sick. And she's trying to like, you know, she him, herself is just trying to devour him. She wants that because yeah. like he would have been that partner for her, like right away. Mm, Those two would have, yeah. you know. I always remember when I first heard, heard of this film, I was like, is there going to be a sex scene between these two? Because, whoa, that will be intense mm-hmm. to watch them get what they want from each other. 
It's like but, a full Aurora Boris of cannibalism. Like, <laughs> right, yeah. Or just like, 69 ever. <laughs> exactly. Or just that violence, right? You know, sometimes mm-hmm. there's this like almost like this. I almost get always get this wrong, but like sadism, sadism or masochism that comes from kind of like, you know, in certain kink communities, there are some injuries that people, you know, and that's mm-hmm. like a kind of like some mm-hmm. love blood play and things like that. And mm-hmm. that is, you know, what some people consider deviant sexual behavior. But like Kelly was saying earlier, these are two people who can't get what they want from their partners because their partners don't necessarily understand what's going on or view them as monstrous. So they try to get it from each other. But then Shane kills her. Yeah. Like he doesn't try yeah. to help to cure her. He doesn't like pass her on any kind of like, here's some of the drugs that I'm using to help keep this. Under-. He literally just straight up murder her, murders her and then lets her burn alive. Like you're saying yeah. almost like that whore witch scenario, like burn her alive. Now this like connection to me is gone and I can go on with my life. Right. Um, and that I found really interesting because also, I kind of want to go, I think about how the ethics of love and this kind of came up watching this film is this like this ethical conundrum that we find these couples in. Shane does not give June any knowledge about what's going on. He keeps her right. completely in the dark, which I found very unethical because he's a danger yes. to her. Yeah, absolutely. And she, has, she has a sense of it, but she has no idea. But like you think when you're in love with someone, you're married with someone, you would let them know who you're who you are. And he doesn't. And she's constantly flirting with danger until the very end where she's like, I realize that this is not, I don't know who I'm with. And she's just accepting it. Whereas Leo knows and he's trying to find a cure, but he's keeping his wife locked up to cure her mm-hmm. instead of just uh, respecting her wishes and letting her go. And I'm like, and I remember thinking about like, what would you do or what would you take from someone if you love them so much to protect yourself because i feel like leo and june like leo was trying to protect himself because he got his wife into this situation i mm-hmm. really wish i knew that story about how that happened yeah and he feels it's a sense of duty to help her but yet he is harming her even more by just letting her deteriorate as the film goes on because we could tell yeah. this disease is neurological something got into the brain untapped something that which is also frightening that is in all of our brains mm-hmm. and she's just start deteriorating and all she wants to do is eat and fuck. Like, right. Right. Yeah. yeah. I can relate. Yes. Maybe that's where the, that like cultural divide is. Right. That's a very like white, straight, cisgendered American male thing to do. Let's just keep everything a secret and not actually be transparent. Yeah, Whereas right, yeah. Leo, I think comes from a v- place of very good intentions He's also a doctor. You're there to help people. I think, I mean, I, I can understand that as well, where like that's kind of your baseline. I'm here to help people. I really want to help her. But maybe, but then there's that selfish element that like, I don't want her to die. I really just like want to help her. But this is all bad. Again, I think that's a great thing, the ethics of love. Like what, what lengths will you go to help or per, quote protect because I don't think Shane's doing a great job of protecting June. I don't think that's how you protect no. people, but that's no. how uh, he would, uh, you know, view protection. And maybe that's where those really interesting cultural differences come into play. And maybe that's one of the things that Claire Denis was trying to do. Like, here's Americans, here's the French, our mm. French men and our French women. Like, we're mm. voracious. They obviously we know that the French have very different views of sex and sexuality. Way more open sure. about it. Way more transparent about. 
all of those types of things, Americans are so hush hush. Like that's that's lock up our repressed sexuality. Let's not talk about it. You don't have sex. Let's not do any of this, especially anything that's defined as deviant. So anything outside of the heteronormative sphere, we're de- no. That's nope. We're not talking about that. Let's just keep that as a secret. That's interesting. I love this idea of uh, the representation of of different cultures and the way that they're connecting with the relationships. But I, I kind of want to go back to what you're saying about the ethics of love and specifically the way that Leo responds when he finds that his wife has been burned to death, which I found to be like I was expecting to see some kind of emotional response, but he's pretty like opaque and pretty. I don't know, calm. Yeah. And I'm, I'm curious what you guys think, take from the meaning of that. Cause it feels intentional. Like why even show his reaction if there's no reason for it? So wh- what do you guys take from that? Maybe it's relief. Like he yeah. couldn't do it and it's now just happened. Right. I mean, he's also a caregiver, right? We're not, we don't sign up in theory as getting into a long-term serious monogamous romantic relationship or any type of serious emotionally entangled relationship to become a caretaker. You want to be partners. Mm-hmm. You want to be a caretaker, but that's what he is. She escapes as she's going to, because her desire is intense. She will make her way out there. She is now in heat constantly. So she will be escaping as much as possible. And he just goes and grabs her. He's like, Oh yeah, well, Cora got out again. Let's just reel her back in and just make sure we double check those locks next time. Um, Take care so of maybe bodies. it's relief. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I definitely got like this, the sense of relief. I need to like have another watch of this because Leo is like as a character is just interesting as an individual. He just does it everything like just matter of factly. Like this is part of your trial and error when it comes to, you know, love and relationships, but also experimentation as a doctor. You, you know, like yeah. we, we like you said, it was hinted at human experimentation, and somehow it happened to Core, his wife to have this happen and he just kind of treats it like a trial and error thing be like okay well she got out again so now i'm going to clean up the bodies lock her up more here's some more drugs and then keep experimenting until he can figure out how to cure this Mm -hmm. but then to all to what end right like are you trying to cure this to make sure that whatever you discovered out there that this pharmaceutical company has like they never even told us what this experiment was or what this like paper that he wrote that people threw out and called him like a a, like not a hack but you know um crackpot yes thank you doctors are like a crackpot with these ideas so we don't even know what that is so what is that all like is he like you said relief that now that's gone it can be covered Mm -hmm. up and he can go back and pursue his career but yeah i think it's really isn't yeah, maybe his intentions aren't as good as I want to think for Leo because he, <laughs> right? And it's like, oh, now his experiment, you're right. He's he's continuously working on it. It's all very ambiguous, all very hush-hush. We don't really know what's going on, but something not right has happened and is going on. And is she just this continuous experiment that he has to lock away? Everybody knows like, oh, well, she's sick. He's taking care of her. He's working more from home. (laughs) Like maybe that's, maybe Leo's a big dick. And I just am looking at him from a different point of view, but looking at it from like an ethical, clinical, medical, like scientific ethics kind of point of view, maybe I've got it all wrong. Well, I mean, well, sometimes experiment on his wife. Let's, yeah. That's like, well, I'm going to put that in the cons. I'm going to, like, we're making a list. I think yeah. experiment on your wife goes and gets a big C. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You kind of, you have to be yeah. like 
Kelly said scientifically, sometimes you have to be kind of cold and detached from things yes. if you want to see. Right. Oh, clinical detachment. Yeah. I like it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. There's also like a little subtle like jab at capitalism, which I appreciate in that yeah. th- that yeah, scene. Yeah. Even, that I love the scene with him and the scientist where we're getting this little bit of backstory. There's almost like tonally, this goes to the, I thought about this because you were talking about vampirism. Like it totally reminded me a lot of the hunger. Like, I don't know. There's almost like, Ooh, like an, yeah. an 80s thing happening with like the smoking and, the, and that might just <laughs> yeah. be French, but like they yeah. coded very 80s to me in a way that I enjoyed. But there is kind of this, this thing about you like money. And mm-hmm. like it drives you to do these unethical things in the pursuit of money and cut corners in the su- pursuit of money. And I was like, mm, delicious mm-hmm. anti-capitalism. <laughs> Devouring <laughs> others. Yes. 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 Consumption, devour, disposal. Yes. Unethical, Especially... unethical consumption. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Especially pharmaceutical companies, right? They Ooh, are going to yeah. do what all kinds of unethical things to get drugs out there to the world and gouge people of money to get those drugs to be healthy. So that's a very, yeah, very interesting Mm -hmm. aspect of the capitalism. (laughs) Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, I think that it, it, some ways it ties back to this other overarching theme about like entitlement to other people's bodies. Like when you Mm. see a body as like a, essentially a, a, an ATM that you just like put drugs into and take money out of it, it ties in kind of, it's a little bit of a reach, but I think it ties into some other larger things about, cause I think there is one of the main things about Vincent Gallo's character, Shane is like, is his entitlement to bodies and his need to consume them. Like there, yeah, I don't know. I, there's something there. I haven't fully unpacked it, but entitlement is def- like male entitlement is definitely kind of like a theme that sort of, like ribbons through this yeah me. well even the way they film the bodies i feel like is like that where the they're doing it in such hyper close-up mm. that you're just seeing like a body part at a time objectification mm. yeah exactly. <laughs> people just segments of a body dismembered yes. essentially yeah. by the camera yes right yeah exactly uh-huh. exactly i don't know i think the way that this movie and film is filmed in general is really interesting because there are so many scenes that are either close-ups or like we were talking about hyper close-ups where you're like right against the skin almost it gives it cuts of meat yeah Yeah. (laughs) it gives it like a very intimate feeling like when two characters are together especially but then there are other scenes um like when shane and june were kind of exploring paris and she was wearing that green scarf where the camera is so far back that it almost makes you feel like a voyeur i don't know i i think it's interesting i don't know what it says about the movie necessarily but i just think there's a lot of artistry in it and i think that what I was expecting when I watched a movie like this in the new French extremity was something that would deliver on like blood and gore and violence and even sexual violence. And this movie does all of that. But I feel mm-hmm. like um, what I was expecting more of was like a French version of the early 2000s, like torture porn that we got in the US. <laughs> and I think that this is so much more of like an art house movie than that. Oh, yeah. You know? Yeah. Like it's using horror elements to get its theme across, but there's something kind of dreamlike and artistic about it that you wouldn't have gotten in those other movies. Yeah. Well, yeah. It's visceral, but not base. Yeah, that exactly. That's a great way to put it. Like yeah. it's very, it's very elevated in terms of its delivery. Like I think, I think she was making an art film. And yes, the audience well, is she does. Right. Yes. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Exactly. She, exactly. I haven't read this, but I'm I think it's probably safe to assume that Claire Denis does not think she made a horror movie. 
Mm. Julia Durker now does not think her movies are, she does not think Raw is a horror movie. Yeah. Like, I think that again is like this cultural French thing where they're like, <laughs> I don't make horror movies. Or like, oh, you definitely did. <laughs> I mean, whatever. I'm not going to debate about it, but, yeah. but it's 100% it is. a hundred percent. It is. And movie. I think yeah. out of all of this, all of these new French extremity movies, I love Ariel what you're saying. You came in thinking it was going to be this big and a word I'm. I'm just running with these days is bombastic. You thought it was going to be, hey, another high tension, which yeah, is like exactly. high blood, high violence, high gore. Yes. yes. Um, and yes. some of them are, and some of them aren't. Some of them are very much more like dramas. Ugh. Like this is like, there's a lot of drama in this. It's, it's, yeah. that, but there, there's these hints of like terror, obviously. Uh-huh. Um, but there's other movies in New French Extremity, like 29 Palms and Mamere that are, are very much more subdued, but are very disturbing at the same time because mm-hmm. they're blending with a lot of taboos, um, like incest and sexual assault and all these different things. But this one for me, I think one of the things that I love about it is that it kind of does surprise you, right? I also went into this movie kind of thinking that it was going to be more like Martyrs and High Tension and Inside, which is all like, whoa, it's like really intense. (laughs) It's just Mm -hmm. intense in very different ways. It's It opens like a a French art movie, Making Out on the Back Seat, that theme that I love so (laughs) much. Anytime I hear it, like I just like die a little inside but also i'm invigorated at the same time because i love this movie so much but that's how it opens and so you're kind of like thinking that it's going to be that type of movie and that totally then turns it on its head and it it is what it is it's trouble every day but it's a very subdued one of the more subdued new french extremity movies and i just i just think that's where so much of its power is the ambiguity the melancholy the seemingly abrupt explosions of violence and blood that just make you deeply uncomfortable and it's these days it's hard to make me uncomfortable but this movie definitely does it does because i feel like we're like (laughs) lulled in this like sense of safety as we're going through it but we're like this kind of like anxiety inducing dread or like the other shoe's gonna drop but when is it going to happen when is it going to happen and then it does and then you kind of die a little inside yeah. And it happens like in the most vulnerable ways possible, right? Yes. When are you yeah. the most vulnerable? When you are having sex with having someone. Having sex. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes. Mm-hmm. That is mm-hmm. terrifying. And so to have your partner get really super aggressive with you all of a sudden and is like biting at you, that's terrifying. And then to see the scene at the end there with uh, Shane, I, yeah, I always found that very end, the ending uncomfortable because it goes quickly from like, she's into it to no, I'm not into this anymore. I want out. And he's like, no, you're not getting out. You're like, yeah, it's, that's a hard scene to watch. It's, it's Mm -hmm. brutal. And I think part of it, both that scene and the scene with Corey and the young man um, are, there's like very little soundtrack to this movie and very little dialogue and a yeah. lot of just like background noises and like Foley work and mouth sounds and stuff. Yep. And there is something that I found to be like viscerally unnerving about that rape scene because there is like no other sounds other than like the way that she's crying out when it finally turns yeah. badly. And it's rough. In- yeah. And in the scene with Corey, yeah. you know, as she starts to consume him, like his 
screams and the sounds that he makes. And then at the end where she becomes like almost giddy, where mm. she's like kissing his like mangled mouth that she's eaten. It's Laughing. so disturbing yeah. and mm-hmm. and upsetting. But what I actually thought was really interesting is that there are a couple of really quiet scenes in this movie that almost unnerved me more. On the mm-hmm. airplane, there's a scene where he is kissing up and down her inner wrist, you know? Mm-hmm. And I found myself on the edge of my seat thinking like what could happen because, you know, he's been having like this vision of her, you know, all covered, covered in, blood in blood and everything. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so that I found unnerving. But the one that I think made me want to crawl out of my skin was the subway scene that Rachel mentioned earlier, where he's like slowly kind of pressing into the woman from behind and sniffing her neck. And I don't know if it's because I've ridden Bart like my entire life, if that like <laughs> was a particularly upsetting, but just yeah. the way he's like so slowly moving into her. I mean, the camera hangs on it, I feel like, for a very long time before he finally backs off only because another woman kind of caught him at it, you know? Yeah. And he's smushing it's a that real mixed bag puppy in between. Yep. Mm-hmm. I was going to say, I want a puppy pushed against me, but I don't want to have to have my hair <laughs> melting. <laughs> I don't know. There was something about it. I feel it like these are reasonable requests. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I think that it's interesting. This movie is so much about sexuality and there is so much sex in it, but like it's not smutty in part because for all the sex that we see, I don't know that we ever actually see anybody climax with a partner. No, it it is incredibly unresolved sexuality that like thematically is important. Narratively is important, but I also think that like not seeing resolution around that or even aftermath around that, um, like heightens a level of tension for the audience as well. Like we're essentially being edged out of this movie until the end. Um, I was just thinking that. I'm like the the sexual tension. You're right. There's no sexual closure in this. No resolve. No resolve. That is interesting. I feel like we're having such a great conversation about this movie. Like, do I feel resolved about it? I don't know that I do. I do think I need a second watch because I think I need to just like sink into the themes a little bit more. But I'm so, I love this conversation so much. This has been so much fun. Like, I I feel like you guys are introducing ideas and perspectives that like I just did not have watching this. And I knew, I knew there was there there. I could feel it. But (laughs) this is, yeah. So are there any other themes or moments from the film that you guys wanted to talk about before we wrap it up? Because I know it's late where you guys are and I don't want to keep you too long. Okay. Although I would happily talk for four more hours if you're into it. <laughs> well, there's a lot. Like even just okay, this conversation good. brought up things that I haven't even thought about, but that I think that just makes for great storytelling, a great movie. Um, we all come from different perspectives. So we have different lenses and different viewpoints and experiences. So we're coming at it from different ways. And again, I think that's what makes a really fantastic movie i'm very happy to have shown you both a brand new movie to you yes, one that's going yes. to stick with you you're going to think oh, about yes. that you enjoyed oh, sure. yes frankly yes, that's yes. what the spinsters of horror are all about are showing people very interesting worth your time horror movies so yeah thank you um yeah. do i have anything else to say we already talked about beatrice doll being an icon um of so just good. like incredible fortitude um so no i don't really have anything else to say this has been fantastic how about you jess any any i want to make sure that we don't wrap it up before you've said the things that you want to say because you are very smart and i want to hear that (laughs) 
He's the brains of this outfit. <laughs> oh, thank you. Uh, <laughs> I feel like we've captured everything I've wanted to say right now, like of this film. Like I said, I'm this is my second time watch and I'm seeing more things that I hadn't saw the first time around. And I can't wait to go back and revisit this film again because I just also just find it how it's so interesting that it's the film that kind of kicked off new French extremity and it has to do so much about bodies, so much about visceral emotions, so much about just human stories and just everything kind of comes from this film. And it's not like, it's like, it's a horror film, but it's not strictly a horror film. And I think it's how interesting, how divisive this film is and how people are just like, you know, you have people who like, are like five out of five, love this film and we'll have a great discussion. And then you get people who are like, I give this as a one because this is so boring. And like, what's the point? And you're like, but then if you're not sitting with it and thinking of like the themes that are coming out, like I love how you guys are bringing up the gender politics, you know, the, the, the virgin whore, uh, um, dichotomy that comes up from like june and corey you know from like deviant sex deviant and quote sexuality like just so much comes from it and i just i always encourage people to kind of like you know you may not watch it the first time and enjoy it but maybe try to give it a second time watch um mm-hmm. and then you'll you'll hopefully see more from it that you didn't see before yeah um, yeah. Is this the only art house film about Vore? <laughs> I'm sorry. I had to, you guys were so smart. I had to bring the room down. I had to be intellectualized. Thank you. Yeah, I, I agree with everything you guys said. I didn't know what I was getting myself into when I started this, but I think, you know, this movie is so beautiful in so many ways even the gore is really beautiful like when Corey is painting the walls with blood like that's a stunning shot I mean I think that Claire Denis is just a real talent her and her cinematographer especially are so talented with what they were able to do with this movie the one thing I would say is sort of a negative for me is that the way that this film is edited is sometimes a little bit jarring and a little bit confusing where like you're mm-hmm. watching a scene and then another scene is kind of inserted into it, you know, a real quick one. And it mm-hmm. kind of confuses me like, mm-hmm. wait, who's in this scene and who's not or what's exactly happening. Um, and and so that might be like a negative for some people. But there's just so much in this movie that is interesting and worthwhile. And it's been really fun to talk about. So, oh, I mm-hmm. did have one question. OK. Yes, it's a wig. No, no what? Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> That's usually her question. <laughs> for people, for, since you guys have seen this movie multiple times now, there is a scene in the beginning where there is a housekeeper, like the housekeeper woman that we keep mentioning is like trying to make the bed and they just like sit on the bed and lay on the bed while she's trying to make it. And then like June helps her make the bed. Is that like a French thing? What was happening there? I was so confused as to why that scene was there at all i i don't know i thought they were dick americans that's how i read that <laughs> oh my <laughs> god i think you're right i, I never oh, know why damn. that happens but it's like yeah that is i think like you're right yeah. the most entitled dickish thing yeah i would not have the audacity <laughs> no. finally june's like haha i guess i'll help her make the bed one why wasn't the bed made but then also she's doing the woman's labor quote unquote and right. helping mm-hmm. make the bed shane's not going to do that but i just thought it was very much oh my gosh American i think you're right i think that's what it is because he wanted to carry his new bride into the right. suite because they're on their honeymoon and he wanted to ravish her on the bed but the bed literally ravish not made um, yeah i was like yeah not made. <laughs> <laughs> right. not made right and 
Well, that's interesting. <laughs> the idea of like he, they're finally on their honeymoon because and he wants to ravish her, but the bed is unmade. That feels symbolic mm-hmm. a little bit now that right. you're saying sure. it. He's even like oh, looking at the, like the sheets. <laughs> he's like the white sheets. And I'm like, blood looks really stark on white sheets. Sure does. Very, Very good. We'll see that well, lady later with Cora. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Oh, that's interesting. Do we think they ever consummated? I think no, right? Like is when she no. says to him, you lied, was it that like maybe he had promised after they would marry they would be able to have sex? That's kind or of what maybe. I took it as. And that's, that's okay. what I, I think that's why up, yeah. she was so angry. Not just being, like confused or concerned, but angry when he locked himself in the bathroom. Frustrating. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. Okay. So final recommendations. I say a hundred percent go on to the shutters and, and give this a look and let us know what you think, because I feel like everybody is going to have a different opinion about this. Yeah. How about you? Let's go around the, around the, the circle. I think we know the answers, but we're going to do it anyway. <laughs> Jess, would you recommend? I would definitely recommend for someone, if they're just starting into new French Germany, start with this film first Ooh. and then work your way in. Gateway French extremity. Nice. Nice. (laughs) How about you, Ariel? Would you recommend? Yeah, 100%. This one was so interesting and so artistic. It's worth your time. And then Kelly says, no. (laughs) After all this discussion, I hate this movie. Um, Not only is it my one of my favorite new French extremity movies, but also a favorite disturbing movie. So absolutely, I say check this out. And again, I don't normally say this, but give it a minimum of two watches and then come back and tell me what you think. Because it is exceptional and I love it. (laughs) Perfect. (laughs) So, okay. I have one last question for you guys because like Ariel and I have like dabbled in the French extremity and you would say this is a good gateway. So I'm in the gateway now. The gateway is open. I'm in. What? What what do I watch next? What is if you were guiding me, you were taking my hand and walking me through the the gory halls of French extremity? What door would you open next for me, mm. Kelly? You're the expert on this stuff. Um, I've watched a good handful. I do use Alex West's book. Um, like I said, she's literally wrote the book on New French extremity. It's called Films of the New French Extremity: Visceral Horror and National Identity. Alex West, Ooh, who okay. is the co-host of Faculty of Horror podcast, fellow Canadian and Torontonian here. Um, incredible book. So I'm using that. I'm kind of getting because of this podcast. So thank you for the inspiration and motivation for this. I'm going back <laughs> through some new French extremity to check out ones I haven't seen and rewatch some movies because I uh-huh. love the power of the rewatch. Um, my least favorite is High Tension because for me, that oh, is okay. a one watch only movie. Um, mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. I would say um, definitely Martyrs. Frontiers. Frontiers is in my top three and is uh-huh. very much an underrated, underseen New French Extremity okay. movie that people never talk about. If you find Nazis horrifying like I do and love a yeah. strong final girl, <laughs> watch Frontiers. Oof, um, okay. So... Um, I feel I like that one's that. gonna hit differently than in 2023 than it did back when it first <laughs> it, came out. Oh, um, it's It hits hard and i watched frontiers for the first time relatively recently so i would say martyrs inside frontiers okay okay Mm -hmm. that's the order you would start with martyrs you would put martyrs you are keeping the shit out of us (laughs) (laughs) work your way and being like yeah (laughs) i was looking for a gentle step up Guide me! Don't push me over the cliff. I don't like. Depends on what you're, you know, what's gonna, you know, disturb you, right? Everybody's thresholds very different. Um, like, like for an example, irreversible. Kelly was like, "Eh, it was fine. I watched it today, and I'm like. 
oh god just yeah. destroyed i was like I was just, <laughs> it's fine <laughs> okay i'm rephrasing my question <laughs> yes not you guys yes <laughs> What is my next French extremity Because I want to dabble, but I am very frightened. Oh, goodness. Yeah. I would definitely like inside. It's okay. Like one, it was another one that Kelly got me into first. Kelly was the one who guided me into this. So okay. like I said, it was, uh, you know, Trouble Every Day. Inside was the next one. I watched them. Ills. Oh, that was right, right, right. I watched that I watched on my own. I watched High Tension. So I was like working my way up. And then Kelly's like, boom, Martyrs. I was like, oh, God. <laughs> oh, boy. Yeah. And then after Martyrs, I've been able to watch uh, Calvair, which I think Calvair could go earlier on because I didn't play okay. as disturbing. Yeah, okay. yeah, Calvair could be earlier on than like Frontiers. And then depending on people's feelings around sexual trauma and rape and stuff like that, Irreversible yeah. okay. has yeah. the most yeah be ready to have I see i've never thoughts. seen that one on principle because like every dude thinks that they're giving me good advice and they're like you know what's a good rape movie <laughs> I'm like oh <laughs> don't finish that sentence for the love oh. of god and every time it's have you seen irreversible I'm like wow too many wow. bros have recommended this to me <laughs> so like on principle i haven't seen it but like when you guys recommend it, I feel different feelings. It hits different. Yeah. <laughs> um, I'm going to throw out there because I just rewatched it and I'm for shame. I'm shaming myself because I did not bring it up yet is Bezemois, um, which is now jumped into probably my top three. I got to like sit Ooh, with this a okay. little bit, but Bezemois, which essentially translates to rape me. Oh, is, I thought it was kiss me. That just escalated really fast. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah, no, okay. Um, it's like a. Uh, dirty gritty very kind of scandalous Thelma and Louise but it's new French extremity um so maybe later on but it just has a lot of like there's a lot of violence and I mean there is a unsimulated there's unsimulated sex for all of it and the rape scene that's in it is unsimulated sex um that's true that's that's deep I guess a harder watch again it all perspectives it's (laughs) right 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 right, right. strong recommendation however maybe one of the later ones but yeah Bezemoi is definitely another one that's a very like under talked about new french extremity that is in alex wet's book that is pretty incredible um power of female friendship um so i really really enjoy it for a lot of different reasons but the the female friendship is, in it is quite fantastic so okay yeah. awesome okay. okay i think i'm gonna work my way up to that one i think so next there. We decided, wait, what one what did we decide was actually next? It's not, it's not martyrs. So I can I can tell you that. <laughs> I know for sure it's not martyrs. <laughs> so the inside, next like Calvary. inside. Yeah. Inside or okay. definitely could be Frontier. an earlier one. Okay. Yeah. Okay. All right. We're gonna do I've it. Seen inside. So so Calvair yeah. or Frontiers. The Let only one know. I haven't seen yet is Inside My Skin. And in that my one skin. right in my oh, skin. I really yes. I was blending these two. When I first heard Trouble yeah. Every Day, I was like, oh, Ariel, you're in danger. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not so there this- with that one yet. So. Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> They're all fantastic. They're all so, like I said, so powerful and interesting in their own very unique ways. High tension is, I feel like, just the most straightforward for me personally less interesting one watch and then you're done because it's like really over the top and wild to me yeah um there's more 
I just feel like there's more interesting ones that might work better for folks right. than that one. But do I need like a, like, I think, feel like what I need is a desensitizer and then I can get into the, like the deep end and <laughs> right really there. good stuff. But first I need to kill a little bit more of myself off. Like, there's still some like, like, you know, around I the guess. edges, there's still yeah. some like life and I need to like clean the slate. Oh, you don't need that. Get rid of that. Yeah. They will, yeah. Test, you. They will, they will test you where your emotions are at. Like Kelly like yeah. said yeah. to Kelly this morning, I have emotions still. So I was yeah, very impacted. We're working on it, girl. You'll be dead inside <laughs> no time. With me in church, no time. <laughs> Watch out. I love it. I love it. I love it. I love it. Uh, all right. So people at home who are listening, hopefully you paused or you had already watched this. We would love to know what you thought of Trouble Every Day. Maybe you have some insights on the French extremity because now apparently I need to go on this journey. I have been like uh, the curiosity has definitely been ignited. Yes. So I definitely need to check these out. You can always email us at Rachel at zombiegirls.com. That's G-R-R-L-Z.com. Or you can come chat with us on the Facebook group or even better, slide into the DMs at uh, ZG Podcasts, that's podcast with an S, uh, on Instagram and Twitter. We have had the most amazing guests. Truly, this has been so much fun. I knew it would be, but it was even better than I thought. And so I'm sure for those people who are already super fans, they're going to want to hear more of you guys. Tell us, let's plug the show one more time. Let them know where they can find the show, where they can find you on socials, all that good stuff. Sure. Well, again, we're Jess and Kelly, the Spencers of Horror. Our podcast is I Spit on Your Podcast, released at the last day of every month. You can follow us on our website, which is spencersofhorror.com. We're on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Spencers of Horror. Just search for us. And we have a Facebook group called the Spencers of Horror Coven. So come hang out with us if you're still using the old method of Facebook. Um, come <laughs> hang out with us there. <laughs> Love we it. also yeah have a letterbox account where we put up all of our ratings the different movies we watch we have a youtube channel of some of our uh presentations some of our podcast episodes we do a live video and i have a book club now so i have a discord channel so people can join a monthly horror book club and we talk Ooh. about we go from regular horror to extreme horror so we're doing audition how does this one month. get an Very invite cool. to the book club for asking for a friend i'm asking for ariel <laughs> <laughs> Uh, just shoot me a DM and I will send over the discord link. Excellent. <laughs> okay, great. Um, I guess that, oh, you know what? I was going to plug our merch, but you know what I'm going to instead plug your merch. I need a shirt with the cat on it. How do I your get logo it? Where do I so get cool. it? Yeah. It is so cool. I'm <laughs> like, it was, I'm obsessed with it. Where, where do I purchase a shirt to put on my bod? It's at um, Public. Tea public. Tea public. Yes. Perfect. <laughs> awesome. All right. Just so, of horror. Okay. Next time we see each other, there will be a cat right here. <laughs> I hope so. Thank you. You'll see. You'll see. I'm not kidding. Awesome. All right. So, uh, if you want to support us, we also have some merch. You can get it at tpublic.com forward slash zombie girls, or you can support our Patreon at patreon.com forward slash zombie girls where you get extended episodes bonus episodes live episodes the ariel ask me anything live show happens this saturday yes, we have tricked ariel into allowing us <laughs> to do an ama with her so all secrets will be revealed We're if you haven't already sent in your choices. questions <laughs> for ariel 
This is a great time to do it. Yeah, I told you before, Rachel at zombiegirls.com. Send us your questions. We've got questions from one listener already, and he had quite a few, quite a few for you, Ariel. (laughs) (laughs) So definitely get those in. We can corner her. I mean, we can provide her with some opportunities to share (laughs) deeper insights about herself and grow closer to you in your parasocial relationships. Um, Plans for next week. Ariel, what it, what are we doing? We're doing this every week this month because it's Women in Horror Month. What are we doing on the next episode? Yeah. So for the next episode, we're going to have special guest Ivor Tease Little, who is the host of the Horror Movies and Beyond YouTube channel. She's going to be joining us to review Piggy, directed by Carlotta Parada. And it's end again. Yes. <laughs> yes. We have heard that this is going to be an emotional one. So I hope you guys yeah. come along for the journey. She's brilliant. I think she's going to have a lot of really great things to say. It is streaming on Hulu. So you can watch it there or you can rent it on on demand for a few dollars. So, Well, that is it. Unless you're sticking around for the extended episode, we're going to be talking about Scream 6 because once again, it was my turn to do the extended episode and I didn't. <laughs> so that is what is on my brain. So we'll be talking about that movie and talking about the uh, the Nev Campbell of it all. All right. Thank you again to our amazing guests. You guys have been fantastic. So funny. So smart. So lovely. Feel like I've known you forever. Hope this is just the beginning of a friendship and that we can do this again because we would love to have you on again anytime you would like to join us. Yeah. Oh, thank you. Sure. Thank you for the kind words and oh. all of the support over the years. And we'll gladly come back. Absolutely. Oh, yeah. This has this been was a so treat. much fun. I <laughs> yes. love yes. this. Oh, love this. Thank you. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That makes me so, so happy. I'm I'm not even kidding. All right, Ariel, it's your turn. Take us out. All right. That's another episode of the More Deadly Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you to the Spinsters of Horror for joining us. Next week, we're going to do Piggy. So get that in your eyeballs. Watch it and come back and we'll do this all again. Bye, everybody. (laughs) Bye, everybody. Thanks to everyone for listening. And thanks to my co-host, Ariel, who's always willing to come on here and geek out about horror with me. And finally, thanks to the women who make the horror films we love so much. Production of this episode was done by yours truly. Editing was done by Ariel Messman Rucker. And our theme song, More Deadly, was by Elizabeth Kyle and Eric Neal. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the extended episode, a.k.a. More Deadly After Dark. <laughs> I'm still your You're co-host, Rachel. These days, I Sorry. know I forgot one time, Ariel. One time. <laughs> I, 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 my reputation as being impute. I do not care for it. I will do not accept it. Do I have any coffee left? Oh, <gasps> there's coffee left in this cup. Holy shit! The night's been made. Mm. I need it. It's been a <laughs> but I will say. As long as a day as it was and like complicated as a movie as that was to talk about, I had so much fun. Did you have yeah, fun? Yeah, so did I. I had a great time. And, you know, there are other new French extremity horror movies directed by women, too. So I oh, think we really? have to repeat this experience at some point in the future. Which ones? Do you know? I can't remember um, off the top of my head because where I was looking, it was all the French names for them. Um, but <laughs> French. I'm Googling. But there French were a extreme. couple. Or woman directed. Let me see if I still have the page up. Thrace. Who's going to get there first? Probably Rachel. You're faster than I am. New extremity. Okay. Mm -mm 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 -mm. 
someone named Catherine Billier. Yes. Yeah. That's that's it. All right. Let's There's see what old Kathy's been yes. doing. <laughs> Kathy has made what? That's, that's we're on first name basis. So what? You don't gotta like that with her. Not Sorry. just first name, but like nickname basis. <laughs> you know, that's how we roll. Uh huh. Um. Yeah. Well, what the hell? Oh wait. Life and career. It's probably in there. Here we go. This is what I'm looking for. Um, yeah, I think that girl is maybe the one, right? Okay. Yeah, that might be it. I don't know. Anyway, so yeah, I think I think you're right. I think we should definitely circle back and do more uh Fritch Extremity. Um, and hopefully soon we can have these awesome girlies back because that was they are so cool, so fun. Like yeah. once again, I full Labradored out on them and was like, eat my friend. But <laughs> listen, I am who I am. And I get excited when I meet really yeah, smart, no, cool ladies that I share common interests with. I'm always going to get excited about that. Yeah. There's nothing I can do. I know. It is well, what I it mean, is. I wish I, I was cool. I discovered them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I discovered their podcast like four or five years ago. And so I've just been sort of like stalking them online and stuff. And so it was very fun to get to actually talk to them. Wow. That was just like evidence in the forthcoming trial. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, that was fun. Uh, that movie was super interesting, and like I hope yeah. I didn't come across as really critical of it because I do think no, it's a really I think it ne- movie. needs to be criticized. I, I mean, needed like, to interrogate fair. it because I just yeah. like I could like there's it feels like a dense and rich text that I was like really just barely scraping the surface of. Like I, well, I wish I had I, had time to watch it twice. Yeah, me too. I mean, I went back and watched a couple of scenes where I was like a little confused on sort of the order of things that happened, but I didn't get a chance to watch the whole thing a second time. And I wish I had, because I think that, you know, like I was saying with like the editing and just sort of the way that the story unfolds, there are some parts of it that are kind of opaque and a little bit hard to mm-hmm. understand the first time through. So yeah, I wish I had gotten to see it again, but I think that's why we talked about it too, you know, is to like yeah. try to understand better. But it was interesting so- what you had said, because it, it made me realize like in the moment, maybe some of what I had taken away from it was just because like, I believe those things about mm-hmm. <laughs> like, but not because the director necessarily did, you know, like maybe I was putting a better spin on it than she. <laughs> I mean, it's very rare that you're the, like the nice one and I'm the critical one. Like it was a real, <laughs> yes, we did like a real freaky that, like, Friday today. I'm the in this relationship. <laughs> and this time you got to be mm-hmm. the Siskel. I'm giving you full Ebert realness, <laughs> <laughs> which I'll take because I actually loved R.I.P. E.B. I know. R.I.P. He, he was one of the good ones. He was mm-hmm. one of the real ones. All right. So for the extended episode, like I said, I once this has been a really complicated week. Like I had all of the scream coverage that I need to do for work. It also was like Shadow and Bone Junket week. And it's just been. Crazy. Oh, Shadow so, and Bone's coming back. Yes, girl comes back. I think next week. Yes, next week. Yeah, and okay. it's still. Did you read those books? Yeah. Um, I love the Crow Club so much. Me too. I love them so much. Like I those read those books. books. I didn't read the Shadow and Bone, like the prequel series. I just read the two Six of Crows books. Yeah, they're yeah. really, really, really great. And I think it's been confirmed that the third one is coming, which I'm like, give it nice. Because yeah. I'm obsessed with like all of those characters. And I need I'm... like heisty goodness, you know? Like, right? They're yeah. so heisty. I mean, because mm-hmm. the other books are really good and there's like cool world building, but they're sure. ultimately kind of like a chosen one narrative, right? Which mm-hmm. is fun. Okay. And it's like a love triangle, which is fun. Although the Mal is so much better on the show. <laughs> so in the books, he's unbearable. In the, in oh, the show, I actually like him quite a bit, but... 
But yeah, so it's just been a crazy week. So I thought I would just talk about what's on my mind, which is, of course, okay. Scream 6, which will be out by the time that this episode drops. But yes. um, but we'll, it's, I won't be spoiling anything for people who are worried about that right now because you haven't seen it. I As we're recording, it yet, it's not out. No. Yeah. <laughs> so I will not be telling you that Ghostface is actually Stu and he has uh, re- resurrected from the dead. <laughs> actually, it's kind of like a ring thing. He comes out of the TV that he was okay. crushed by gotcha, and uh, gotcha. is Ghostface. Oops, I spoiled the movie. No, <laughs> I would never. I would never actually spoil it for you. 